Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week's episode, we have Justin and Lauren. In honour of all the meteor showers that we've been having on Earth, including the Leonids and the Geminids in the Southern Hemisphere recently, we talk about whether something could actually survive that fall from space and how it could have helped spread life across the universe. We also discuss if something could be really random enough and how exactly our iTunes Shuffle playlist plays into it. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. That, that was supposed to be the sound of a um, meteorite, comet, something coming in from space and hitting the ground. Okay, well, let, let's go through the definition of space objects quickly. Comet is a object, mostly rock and ice, that orbits the th- uh, planet or the solar system and it has a really weird behaviour. That means it comes in, has a tail as the ice melts off and becomes this fantastic thing and then goes back to being a solid ball of ice again as it rotates out of the solar system. Meteors and meteorites are things that are coming to Earth, um, much in the way that magma and lava are distinguished between them. Meteorite and meteor are distinguished between which ones have gone through the Earth's atmosphere and which ones have actually landed on the Earth's atmosphere. So um, if you could be either of any of those, probably the most relevant uh, at that point would probably be a meteor, meteorite. Um, so well done, Lauren, on your correct meteoriting. So wh- why were you pretending to be a meteorite, Lauren? Uh, I was pretending to be a meteorite because we have recently kind of created our own meteorite. Um, by that, I mean we sent a, we got a rocket that went into space and came back again and actually had its own little genetic material attached to it. Yes, and I find this absolutely fascinating. So we make meteorites all the time by launching things up into space and then watching them fall back to Earth, hopefully intentionally. Sometimes not intentionally. Um, I've played far too much Kerbal to know the dangers of space launches. Um, But when you think about it, if something's falling through the atmosphere, and you probably have all seen videos or animations where um, the rocket is come re-entering the Earth's atmosphere and it's burning up, like it is literally on fire um, with massive amounts of heat uh, as it's re-entering the Earth's atmosphere at a tremendous speed. And re-entry, incredibly dangerous. You basically have to design spaceships either out of massive amounts of metal or very clever ceramic tiles that can dissipate you know, thousands of degrees of heat um, that results when you re-enter the atmosphere. Now, that it's not that the Earth's atmosphere is hot. It's actually quite cold. It's the fact that friction at, you know, several hundreds of thousands of kilometres an hour is does a lot of damage and produces a lot of heat. And the question is, could anything really survive that from a biological perspective? Could anything actually ever get through this massive baking process that happens at high wind speed, uh, purely uncontrolled, and then live to tell the tale. So, Justin, have we answered that question yet? Well, aside from uh, Felix Berkheimer jumping out of a balloon below that level of, you know, re-entry and not, not going anywhere near that level of speed, the only really way to test that is to take some biological material and send it through space. Now, I don't mean strapping an animal or a human, for that matter, to the front of a rocket and letting it go, because obviously they would burn up. Um, But something a bit more fundamental than that. Uh, And some researchers from the University of Zurich's Institute of Anatomy 
managed to do a similar exercise uh, where they coated a rocket in biological material and then said, come back to Earth and we'll see if you survive. What do you mean by coated it in biological material? Right. So the Texas 49 um, research rocket is a, a rocket being put up by the European Space Agency. And the, the experiment they took was called DARE, the DNA Atmospheric Reentry Experiment. And they were daring to be different with this one. What they did was they took pipettes, so the little suctiony tubes, if you're familiar with them, and then they applied with just genetic material, basic double-stranded DNA molecules um, to the exterior hull of the Texas 49 research rocket. And they just covered, you know, all these power, the reentry craft with these plasmid DNA molecules. Um, and what they were doing was they were trying to see if it could survive and what would happen to it on the way through. Um, and it was a really interesting experiment about extreme conditions for space and reentry. So did we just drop the rocket from space? Do we send it actually out into the cosmos and then bring it back? Do we just... Yeah, it was a research rocket. So the mission itself was... This is only a side part of the mission. This is not the only reason we sent it. <laughs> they just found some people who were setting out a rocket. It was like, hey, can we coat your thing in ooze? We just want to run some tests. And that's what they did. They went into orbit for a bit and then came back to Earth. Um, and what they found that was really fascinating about all of this is that when they landed a lot of this plasmid DNA molecules were still on the rocket, on the, uh, on the payload itself. Uh, and even more fascinating that the, some of the DNA that they salvaged from the rocket was still able to transfer genetic information or reproduce, um, which means it could connect to other cells and bacteria. So we can have DNA material that can survive re-entering the earth without being like contained in a yep that's right and what really is amazing about this whole concept is we're obviously alone in the universe as far as we can tell in our small little solar system and we would desperately love for that not to be the case um, but the bigger question is there is where did we come from because the universe itself is you know many billions of years old and our the planet Earth has only been around for a small portion of that. And so where did what caused life here on Earth come from? And a lot of those theories around where life may have come from originally, um, after the Big Bang and before Earth was made and life arose, is the concept of abiogenesis, often also referred to as panspermia. And the idea is that basically the interstellar cosmos was carrying comets full of biological material that then traveled through the universe made its way to baby earth and landed on it uh, and that biological material spread grew merged around evolved and became life as we know it on the planet earth and that is a potential theory for where life on the planet earth comes from now that doesn't explain where those comets then came from but you know it's, it's an explanation for a part of the process. And so what we've been trying to do is to understand, you know, if Earth is the only place that can host life or can life be hosted in weird and crazy places all across space and, in fact, travel through space. I like to think that um, the genetic material came from, like, 
an alien planet's like a kid a kid alien who was doing like a science project was like, hey, I'm gonna cover these comets in genetic material and chuck them out into the universe and see if anything happens. In fact, they probably did it on a dare. <laughs> um, and that's really you know a, a potential circumstance for how life arose. But the study of extremophiles, which is these bacterial small organisms that can exp- it can survive in the most crazy of places, including places you know that are fantastically hot, fantastically cold, no air, no food, no light, all of the above, um, or basically like space. <laughs> um, and what they found is that you know yeah, bacteria can be dormant. For thousands of years, some vaccines and some sorry, some viruses can be laid dormant, purely just floating along on this massive uh, interstellar space, and then can be reactivated and awakened again as soon as they come into the right conditions where they can come alive, the right heat, the right moisture, the right ingredients. That is terrifying. Well, it's not terrifying in as much as it's uplifting because one of the greatest things to know is that we're not alone we're not the only instance of life out there the less special we make life on earth the better it is for us as a whole because it means that we are less likely to be alone out there and it means that if we ever stuff anything up it's not like the universe is going to come to an end life will go on somehow somewhere and sometime Um, not that we've proven that life is on other planets yet, but we have seen basic bacteria uh, and basic uh, viruses able to travel long distances in vacuums and extreme temperatures like you would find in space. So thank you to the University of Zurich's Anatomy Institute for daring to be different and proving that DNA can survive re-entry on comets and other extreme environments. But yeah, it, it raises an interesting concept of the impacts of randomness. I just like the fact that even if you take a, try to take a completely random walk, you're still going to take the same amount of time as someone else taking a completely random walk, even though you would be completely different. Even though, in theory, it should be completely different and there shouldn't be any kind of, like, comparisons or similarities. Yeah. I find that really fascinating. Like that just messes with the idea of randomness and and free will, whether or not something can be ever really random. I'm sure that you've had the experience that sometimes you feel that your, your shuffle on your iPod or your media player is not really truly random. No, but even if I put it on a random setting, it still finds this rhythm or pattern of songs that will play after each other. Or, corresponding with certain moods and i'm sure we've talked about on this podcast before how people have this perception that these songs align with their moods when they're actually just finding a pattern in the randomness it's a really interesting psychological effect it's not that there is a pattern in the randomness the itunes is not magically aligning to your mood it's that you're associating a pattern onto the randomness that you see which is really cool scientific things that are happening in the brain um but there's also uh another bit more devious aspect to that that the itunes actually they had to not make their random random really yes because it it was too disconcerting um and led to too much repetition for a truly random process to be done by itunes so they actually have to use algorithms to make a random process then make it less random so that it it doesn't just play the same thing over and over again um in ways that would frustrate and annoy people 
and make it feel like it's not random, even though it is actually just being random. So flipping a coin um, 10 times and getting 10 heads in a row is actually random. It doesn't mean it's broken. It, is it, there's a small possibility that that happened, right? But it's not doesn't mean that it's rigged, even though that small possibility occurred. And things like that happening with your iTunes shuffle list, like the same song coming up again and again, will happen. It's just a fact of the randomness, especially if you have, if you have an iTunes library of, you know, 80 gigabytes. What is mine sitting at nowadays? Uh, some, uh, some obscene 400,000 hours worth of music. Um, at some point, it is going to overlap. <laughs> Does that have to do also with our need to find patterns and things? Yeah, and I like like with the example of you thinking that your thing is psychic because it's playing music that corresponds with your mood, we are constantly trying to impose patterns on the randomness. Um, that's just what we do as a survival trait, a very, very effective survival trait, I may add, one that has led to the advancement of science as a concept, but a survival trait nonetheless. And we talked about um, uh, in the past as well, um, picking up faces in objects. It's the same thing. We pick up faces where faces don't exist because our brain goes, there must be a face there. It's the only way that makes sense. And that's what I'm going to do to make sense of this crazy circumstance. Um, and that, that's what we do. Much in the same way, a robot could be tricked into thinking there's a face there by looking for some key features we would find a pattern there because we're following some basic pat algorithms in our own head to identify this is a pattern. You know, this thing happened and this thing happened and this thing happened again to try and make predictions on the world. And we use those predictions to live. Like that's how we survive by going, the sun went down. Now it will come up again in about 12 hours. It's going to be hot t today. It's probably going to be hot tomorrow. So I can make predictions about how I'm going to respond. Like that's that's a way that we use predictions and pattern finding. Even though the pattern may be a bit more complicated than that, our approximation can be pretty useful sometimes. The predators will come to the watering hole at approximately this time most days. Let us avoid not be the watering hole. <laughs> Let us yeah. not be there at that time. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, that's you know that's how we use patterns to help us, but it's not always the fact that uh, randomness is a truly comfortable thing for us we don't like randomness um, as much as we do and when we are confronted with randomness it can be it can feel unnatural to us um, which is partly what makes randomness so interesting um, but also a fascinating concept to think about this has been the young scientists of australia's podcast lagrange point this week we found out how dna can survive the fall from space down to earth and we also found out some of the ways science and pattern recognition will interlinked along with our itunes playlist and randomness now that's helped us survive as humans our ending theme was composed by audio and head to ysa.org.au for more information about the young scientists of australia